chapter 4. We're going to look at the whole chapter uh, together this morning. Esther chapter 4. This is the word of the Lord. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city and he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate for no one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. And in every province where the king's command and his decree reached, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting and weeping and lamenting and many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's young women and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was deeply distressed. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called for Hatach, one of the king's eunuchs who had been appointed to attend her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what this was and why it was. Hadach went out to Mordecai in the open square in the city, in the front gate of the king's gate, and Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction that he might show to Esther and explain it to her and command her to go to the king to beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. And Hadatch went and told Esther that Mordecai had, what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to Hadatch and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, All the king's servants and the people of the king's province know that if any man or woman goes into the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come to the king in these 30 days. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther. Do you think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than any other Jews? For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days or night. And I and my young woman will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. We live in a world that has many different cultures. And there's a lot of different things that define our cultures, uh, where we come from, what are our values, uh, what are its customs. Uh, part of my heritage is that my, uh, particularly on my mom's side, is that I'm Dutch. And there's many different things that come to mind when you think of uh, Dutch people. Uh, you maybe think of windmills, you might think of clogs, or those weird-looking white hats. I don't know what they're called. Um, there's traditional Dutch patri pastries. Uh, we all, or most of us, I would say, probably know the image of the Dutch boy, the little Dutch boy, and putting his finger in the dam. There's certain things you think about that come to mind when you say, I'm, I'm of a Dutch heritage. And I think that this is even true in the church. When we say, I'm a Christian, there's a, a culture of Christianity from the way we walk to the way we talk to the things that we value. It has become part of 
the church or Christian culture, some of it being good and some of it probably being bad as well. And this is no less true in the time of Esther, particularly for those who are in exile. Culturally, they were Jews. That was their heritage. There was certain things that came along with being a Jew. But they had also been assimilated into the empire. They were obeying the laws and customs of the empire as well. And there was kind of this uh, contradiction, as it were, between the two. And it affects the way they respond to what's going on around them. The whole book of Esther is really about a character who never comes into the story and is never even really spoken about. Can you guess who that character might be? God. God is never spoken to, he's never spoken about, and he never speaks through the entirety of this whole story. And this is never more true than right here in chapter 4. Because the culture in which the Jews found themselves in, they had the trappings of correct response, but they didn't actually respond correctly. Esther is being called to place her hands in something. Maybe you've been called here just for a time as this. Who called her here for this time? Who had her in this place? It, it, Mordecai never says. We know it being the unseen, unheard, and unrecognized God. We know from last week as we transfer into tra chapter 4 that Susa and the, and the empire in itself is in chaos. And this was particularly true in the Jewish community. They heard the news of their destruction and they did everything culturally speaking that they knew they should do. They tore their clothes, they put on sackcloth, they put ashes on their heads, and they mourned. And they fasted. They did what they knew they should be doing. They cried out loudly, there was weeping. But throughout all of this, through the people, through Mordecai, through Esther, what do you never hear said? And they called to God in prayer. They just simply don't do it. Even the people in Nineveh, Nineveh, which was the military capital of Assyria, if you know the book of Jonah, says this. This is when they hear the news from Jonah. And the king issued a proclamation and published throughout Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, no herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. That's where Esther and Mordecai end. But the king of Nineveh, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil ways, from the violence of his hands. The people needed to cry out to God, but they failed to turn to him in full. And we're going to see this as we come to our text this morning. As we look at Esther chapter 4, we're going to see three things. Mordecai's mourning, Esther's ignorance, and a nation's fast. Mordecai's mourning... Esther's ignorance and a nation's fast. Let's begin by looking at the ignorance of, or excuse me, Mordecai's mourning. Mordecai heard the decree as it went out, and he's upset. I'd be upset. If someone decreed from Pell City today, uh, we're going to kill all the Lakewood Presbyterian Church, 
in, a, in 10 months. I'd be upset. I don't know about you. I'd be upset. Maybe you'd be upset too. I wouldn't be happy about it. And this is what's happened. And so he hears the news and he's, he's, he's upset. He mourns in the same manner as the rest of the nation. But here's an interesting fact. We see here that Mordecai goes right up to the king's gate. But he doesn't go into the king's gate. Why? Well, that's against the law. This nation who's about to kill you in 10 months' time has issued this decree they're going to kill you, and he's still a good law-abiding citizen. He's mourning, but he's still obeying the laws of the land. He's, he's kind of displaying this culture clash set before us. He's got an identity problem. We see a glaring problem with Mordecai. He's upset. He's visibly upset. And yet he's not going to God. Who's he going to? Esther. And he's going to Esther. Why? That's his voice to the king. He's going to a king, but he's going to the wrong king. If I can just change the king's mind, we'll all be okay. That's his solution. Esther, for her part, is very, oh, my, my, uh, cousin here is very upset. Uh, this is dis- disheartening to me. Uh, send him some clothes. Let's get him out of that sackcloth. This isn't becoming him. She doesn't know what he's all worked up about. She doesn't even know what's going on. She's been too busy at her day spa getting her toenails done and taking mud baths and having massages. She's living the good life, right? She's ignorant. So she sends him clothes. And before we move on to Esther, we, you really see kind of the, the nonsense that's going on here. There's only one help for Mordecai. There's only one help for the Jewish community. And he, he gets this, and we'll see he gets this in part even more. But he never cries out. This is the great deficiency of Mordecai. He seems to be Jewish in nationality only. He knows what it means to be a Jew. He knows how to respond as a Jew. But he doesn't respond as someone who is first and foremost seeking after God. And here's the truth we see set before us today. That is the same danger we face being in the church. We can look like the church. We can sound like the church. We can say all the right things that we need to say. But if we're not on a daily basis crying out to God, then we're missing something. If we're simply doing church here and we're not crying out to God, then we become a self-help club. And this is not what we're meant to be. We are to be earnestly turning to God. Our repentance must be true repentance, not just have the trappings of repentance. Because in essence, that's what they did. The, the, The sign of fasting was meant to visually signify turning to God in repentance and trusting in him. And it just had the outward look of repentance. If you were looking at him, you go, well, that's a good sign of repentance that that Jewish man is doing. But it came with no bite. Esther, for her part, was just ignorant. 
She is completely isolated from the community. She has no clue what's going on. Like I said, she's living the good life. She's living the pampered lifestyle. She compromised with the world. She didn't take a stand. And she finds herself becoming isolated from the people of God. So much so that she doesn't even know what's going on. I don't know what he's worried about. Just give him some clothes. He'll be okay. Let's don't embarrass us. This is the same thing that happens when we remove ourselves from the people of God. As we have distance, it fosters complacency. But Mordecai doesn't want her to be uninformed. In fact, we see Mordecai's sources are really good. He knows everything, wherever his informants are coming from, even to the money amount that was paid to the king. And so he wants her to know. And he wants her to go plead with the king for him and the people. He didn't want God's help. He wanted her help. And just on an earthly level, as Esther will point out, there's many problems with this plan. Esther couldn't go right to the king. No one could go right to the king. If you went into the presence of the king, and unless he held the scepter out to you, you were going to be killed. There's a risk you're taking. If you're not summoned to the king, and it says 30 days, she hadn't been summoned, right? He's moved on past Esther. He's got other friends that he's hanging out with now. Esther, for her part, doesn't refuse to go. He just says, hey, uh, Mordecai, uh, this is going to cost a lot, potentially. Uh, Why don't we rethink this? Can you please give me the, no, let's not do this. She wants him to reconsider. And Mordecai begins to make a series of statements that are altogether daunting. They're altogether confusing. What does he say to her? Hey, look, you're not safe there. There's, it's not safe for you there. You think you're going to escape the, what the rest of the country is going to have happen to them? You're a Jew. Your faith's the same as ours. Then he goes on to say, hey, maybe you were there just for such a time as this. In essence, he's saying maybe... Fate has brought you to this place. But again, he doesn't say, who brought her to this place? Then he also makes the claim, hey, look, if you don't do it, someone's going to do it. The people of God are going to be safe no matter what. But what will happen to you if you don't do it? Once the people of God are safe, what's going to happen to you? You see, over and over again, he's assuming something. He's assuming that God is there working it out. He's assuming uh, that He'll protect her. He's assuming that if she fails to do it, then she's going to get punished for it. But he never mentions God. Not once does he mention God. Not once does he mention why he believes any of this can be true. In essence, he, he comes to one, in our modern context, think about it this way, a, a man who succeeded in business. And he succeeded in business by cooking the books. He succeeded in business by stepping on other people's backs <clears throat> Excuse me. He succeeded in business by neglecting his family. And someone were to come to him and say, look, your business is about to do something that's not good for the health of the church. 
And we want you to take a stand up at this, at this board meeting. We want you to commit business suicide and take a stand where you shouldn't, don't want to take a stand. This is where Esther's look is, is at. <coughs> and he keeps making these arguments from this unseen, unknown source that she better do it. Esther's left with a hard choice. It's a choice that involves her very life. And again, we see this identity, this culture clash. She thinks of herself as a Jew. The fact that she's even listening to Mordecai at this point, I think, is evidence of this. That's who her head was. But she was entirely separated from it. So she has two choices, death or separation from her people. Those are her choices. And they seem an, an impossible thing to do. And when it all comes down to it, she agrees to show solidarity with the Jewish community. And, and she fasts for three days. She asks uh, Mordecai to go get all the Jews in Susa and fast for three days. Even her maidservants will fast with her. Again, it's a sign of sorrow over sin and dependence on God. But there is no prayer. They don't turn to God for dependence. And in fact, when we see here, when she says, if I perish, I perish, this is an assumption. It's not an if I perish. She believes she's going to perish. She has resigned herself to death. She's expecting it. This is the reality of her life now. So what are we to make of Esther? Who is she? Well, some will apply more than probably is best to Esther. They'll give her a deeper faith, one that's not there. They'll hold her up as this bold heroine of the Old Testament. And I don't think that's fair to Esther. Others will say it's a, make it completely secular. Well, isn't this a good thing where they pulled themselves up by the bootstraps and they went forward and they saved themselves and they make it a self-help. And that doesn't do justice either. What we have to do is when we come to Esther, we have to see that she is a deeply flawed character, a deeply flawed individual. She's living lives between two realities. Her birth made her a Jew, but her appointment as queen made her this head over this pagan empire or the queen of this pagan empire. But Esther, as this terribly tragic flawed character, becomes very easy for us to identify with, doesn't she? How can a people who profess and confess each and every week lose course when problems emerge? So we this morning came together and we read this Nicene Creed, right? I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and so on and forth, so on and so on. And one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God. And we declare this creed out together. Each and every week, on a regular basis, we're saying this creed together. And then we go out into this world, and problems arise, temptations come, and what do we do? Do we, at times, live as practical atheists? What are we going to do in this situation? What hope is there? We 
cannot live this way. Because we know we live in a hostile word, Jesus, world. Jesus told us this, John 15, 18 through 21. If the, Lord hate, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all th these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. The world will hate us if we follow after Jesus. Jesus guarantees it, and it will come as personal attacks. It will come as physical attacks. But the question is, how do we live our life out in this world when we know we're going to come under attack? Do we come and say, I'm going to rest and trust wholly and fully, fully in God? Or do we live as if he's not there like Esther does? This is the struggle that we fight each and every day. And we have to remind ourselves, God is in control. All things work out for his glory and for our good. Where do we find refuge in the storm? We need to call directly on God, the God who brings us his spirit. This is the harsh reality for Esther and for Mordecai. They're coming right up to the line. They're dancing at that line that says, this is where I take my stand. And they do not go past. They're resting and trusting in themselves. And this is no less true for all those who are in exile at this point. The nation responds to this crisis with fasting. Again, this means of expressing repentance and dependence on God. This thing that is still important for us today, something that we should be doing individually, something we should be doing corporately. But even as we do that, even as we come and think about what does it mean to fast, we cannot lose focus of why we do it. It's not about us. Here, here's the thing. Esther's actions should cause us to ask some serious questions. Am I blind to the nature of the world? Do I know enough about the persecuted people of God? Do we even know what's going on with one another in this room? Are we blinded by our own lives that we don't hear those crying out around us? We cannot continue to remain impassive. And if we do remain impassive, we deny God, declaring the world to be our true community. Uh, fasting by itself does nothing for them. Fasting in and of itself is, is pointless. They need a mediator. And so who do they turn to as their mediator? Esther. Esther will get it done for us. And they gave themselves over to her and they put themselves in her hands and there's no guarantee of success when you stand up for God if success means getting what you want but there is a sense in which Esther was guaranteed success God had commanded or excuse me God had committed to maintain a people for himself 
Not to be comfortable, but to bring him glory. So here's the reality. If Esther goes in and she dies, that brings glory to God. If after Esther goes in and succeeds in changing the king's mind, that brings glory to God. And so when we become before God today and we come and we fast and we pray, we also need a mediator. But we don't need a mediator like Esther. In fact, the Jews didn't need a mediator like Esther. They needed God as their mediator. We need one who will argue our case for us, who will bring us deliverance. And there is only one mediator between God and man. And that is Jesus Christ. The one who took on flesh, who came into this world. He is the one who identifies with us fully, not in pampered seclusion, Jesus didn't come as the son or the daughter of a king or queen of this uh, of some country and come and live uh, an easy life. No. He lived as one of us. Humbly being born in a manger. Born to a carpenter. This is what we're preparing to celebrate the season, right? It's because of this that he can be mediator for us. And guess what? As he comes into this earth, he comes with the certainty of death. Uh, Esther goes before the kings thinking that she may die. Christ comes to this earth knowing that he'll die. There's no other way which we could be saved. We need a mediator to go before the king for us. And so Jesus comes and drinks the full cup of God's wrath. And even now, post-resurrection, post-ascension, he's sitting at the right hand of God, making intercession for us. He's even now preparing a glorious feast for us, for all who is his, are his. This is the reality. We have a mediator. We don't have to go and wonder what will happen here. We know what has happened. And for now, the, our suffering continues. So yes, we fast at present. We experience the pain and fallenness of the world. But we're also to cry out to God in our pain and in our doubt. And we remember that the day is coming when we'll feast in the presence of the king. With all the redeemed, we will fully taste of his goodness. I really like the book of Esther because of this. It reminds me of me. I can identify, and I imagine you as well can identify with Mordecai and Esther. Because we like to get right up to that line and we like to dance at it. We like to come right up to the edge and say, this is what I believe. And yet it oftentimes doesn't spill out into real practical belief and repentance and prayer. Mordecai has been given the, the worst news that can be given. You're going to die and all your people are going to die. Could you imagine how if yesterday the decree had gone out in Pell City, Lakewood will be smoted. And I came before you and said, guys, this is a terrible thing. Let's, let's just not eat for a while and then go talk to our city council person. 
that would be a terrible thing to advise you to do. What I should come and say, we come before God this morning who is in control of all things. And so we fear no man, we fear no government, uh, but we come today and we worship and praise him. And if he will deliver us, then he will deliver us from this trial. And if he doesn't, then he will deliver us into his wonderful and glorious kingdom. And yet that is a hard message, isn't it? For those who are hurting, for those who are facing trials. We look at Esther and we say her troubles are real. She's worried. She's resigned herself to death. She, in essence, has no hope because she never calls upon God. The same is true for the nation. And there's a warning, I think, set here for us. We cannot fall into the temptation of being those who are only culturally Christian. And we live in the hotbed of cultural Christianity where you come and you go to church because that's what you're supposed to do. Where you come and say, oh yeah, I'm, I may have not gone to church in 40 years, but that's my church. I don't even know who the pastor is there anymore, or who even the people are there anymore. But yeah, that's my church. Oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. We live in this hotbed of cultural Christianity and we have to be careful that we are not living as if we have an identity crisis, as we're living between this world, the sinful world, and the world that is to come, of the world that is our true reality in Christ. We must come before the one living and true God. And as we come, we must come in true faith and true repentance. So when we say the Nicene Creed, the Nicene Creed is not just words that escape our mouth and go into nothing and they have no practical meaning for our lives. That's not why we do creeds. We say and recite creeds because we're declaring, this is what I believe to be true. This is my hope that Jesus Christ did become man, that he was born of a virgin, that he suffered and bled and died for me, that I may have life, that his spirit is now dwelling in me and working through me. That his church is going throughout this earth and that it will reign triumphant. Is that what marks us as true? Do we believe that? Are we living that? We cannot come right up to the line and dance with the line. We cannot come right up and say, I'm going to do all the things that look like I'm saved, that look like I'm a follower of Christ, and yet not actually be a follower of Christ. And I'm not making any claims on Mordecai and Esther. I'm not making any claims that they were truly saved or not truly saved. What I'm trying to tell you is this. They are not, in their time of need, directly calling out to God in prayer. Over and over again, they are giving concessions in their life to the empire, to the world. Yes, I'll go into the king's harem. Yes, I'll not tell them that I'm actually a Jew. Yes, I'm going to keep silent and quiet and keep my head down and follow all the rules that we want, they want me to follow so that my life will be better. That's what they're doing. That's what we can be guilty of doing. Does your life in church look different than your life at work? Does your life at church look different than your life with family? With friends. 
This is true for them. They were trying to live on both sides of the fence. What are we doing? Do we say one thing on Sunday but say something else on Monday? Where is your hope really? Where are you living as if your hope actually is? Because we can't just say here, my hope is in Jesus, and then on Monday start complaining and fussing and swearing and cussing and doing all these other things that we tend to do and, 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 as, and as an expression, as a sign of that we are, don't have a true faith, that that faith has not impacted all of our lives. We can't do that. We have to turn to in faith and repentance. And it has to be about all of, our, all of our lives, not just part of our lives. We have to surrender all to him. So yes, we come, we fast. We mourn the brokenness and sin of this world. But as we mourn and as we fast, we cry upon God. God, you are the only source of help. You are the only source of relief. And no matter what may come, you are good. And you are sovereign and you are in control. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I, we look at Esther, we look at Mordecai, and we far too often see ourselves. Lord, would we turn to you in fasting? Yes, but would we also turn to you in faith and repentance and prayer? Would that be the mark of our life as we live before you, but also as we live before this world? We ask in Jesus' holy name. Amen.